0: Good evening, everyone. I'm glad to see everybody here tonight. We have a really nice crowd tonight, and and I'll let you know that I'm nervous because it's been over six years since I've been in the pulpit preaching, and uh, and I've been studying this lesson, and I've gone over my notes over and over and over, and I'm still having trouble remembering them. I'm having a memory problem, so <laughs> y'all bear with me. So tonight we're going to talk over chapter 26 of the book of Acts. And, uh, so let's get into it. As we begin chapter 26, we see that Paul is still in Caesarea, where Jason left him last week at the end of his lesson. And so Paul is going to be in Caesarea still throughout the whole part of this chapter. But some things have changed because Paul has appealed to Caesar. And that has created a little bit of a dilemma for the governor Festus. So Festus decides that he's going to call for King Agrippa to come down to Caesarea. And, uh, because he, uh, he doesn't have anything to write to Caesar about the charges that are against Paul. And so we find that in uh, the 25th chapter, we'll revisit that for just a second, where it says in, in verse 24, it says, And Festus said, King Agrippa, of all the men who are pre- here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So up to this point, all the charges that the Jews have brought against Paul have been false. They haven't been able to prove one of them. And so Festus has asked Agrippa to come and uh, hear Paul's defense, and hear the charges against Paul, hoping to finally get something that he can write to Caesar about Paul so he can send that letter with Paul Because he thinks it's unreasonable to send Paul without a letter. And so, as we begin chapter 26, we see that Paul is now before King Agrippa because King Agrippa has called him out. And, you know, Paul has been delivered up the chain of power from one ruler to the next. Uh, First, he was brought before Ananias, the chief priest, and then he was brought before Felix, the governor. And then before Festus, the successor to Felix, and now he's brought before King Agrippa. And every time Paul is brought before a ruler, it's an opportunity for him to talk and to witness about Jesus to the ruler and to the Jews and the Gentiles that may be present in that audience. And in the previous chapter, we see that the reason he brought him before him was because he needed needed something to write. He didn't know exactly what the Jews were charging Paul with. So he wants to write a letter to uh, Augustus Caesar. So as we begin in verse 1, the king gives Paul permission to speak. And so Paul stretches out his hand as to calm the audience down and get their attention. It works pretty good, don't it? Because everybody's looking at me. So... And so then he addresses King Agrippa. He says, I thank myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So as he begins to speak, Paul addresses King King Agrippa directly and he he addresses him as a sign of respect, telling him how pleased he is to be able to answer and defend himself concerning the accusations that have been made by the Jews. In verse 3 we see that he seems to flatter Agrippa, but actually he's not trying to flatter him at all. That's not his intentions. His intention is to show respect to him because he knows that King Agrippa has all knowledge when it comes to the customs and the questions that have to do with the Jews. And he respectfully tells him so. And so Paul begins to uh, start his defense in verse 4. He says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first. And if they were willing to testify. That according to the strictest sect of our religion. I have lived a Pharisee. You know Paul says that he's no stranger to the Jews. He grew up there in Jerusalem around the Jews. And, and they, they should know all of All of them should know him. They knew he was born a Pharisee. And they knew he lived a Pharisee. Of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. And of their religion, and they know all about his life. They know how he persecuted Christians, and and he talks about that in a few verses, into the, a few more verses into this chapter. They know how he lived by the law of Moses and defended it in every way. So he goes on in chapter in verse six, and he says, "And now I stand, and I am judged for the hope of the promise." made by God to our fathers. And to this promise our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Well, what is this promise that he's talking about? And I think he tells us in verse 7. He says it's that hope of the resurrection of the dead to eternal life. And he says that's what the accusation by the Jews is all about. And he reverses to that in uh, chapter 23 and verse 6. Where he says. "But It says for when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He cried out to the council. Men and brethren I am a Pharisee. The son of a Pharisee concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And he, he knows that. Uh, King Agrippa understands that and he tells him in verse 8, I lost verse 8, let's go back. He says, why should it be be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? You know, Jesus talked about it, the dead being raised in John chapter 5 and verse 28. He says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. You know Paul knew that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection even though there had been some that had been raised to walk in this life in Acts. We know about all the saints that were were raised from the dead the day Jesus was crucified and when he died the the graves were open and many of those walked. And the latest that we read about in the scriptures is in chapter 20 of Acts and that of Eutychus, the young man that was sitting in the third loft listening to Paul preach and he became very sleepy and he fell asleep and he fell out of the loft and was killed as he fell. And Paul went down and laid on him and revived him brought him back from the dead and so why would it seem so far fetched that God could raise the dead into life everlasting when the dead could be raised to walk in this life in verse 9 there's verse (laughs) 8 see I told you I have trouble with this thing. In verse nine, Paul goes on to talk about the persecution that he brought upon the the Christians before he became a Christian. He says, "Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them." And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You know, I think Paul also knew that the Jews hated him now, partly because he had become a Christian. And he no longer crusaded against Christians and no longer fought for the law of Moses and the religion of the Jews. And so Paul begins to explain to Agrippa and Festus and the rest of the audience how zealous he was to the persecution of followers of Jesus of Nazareth. How he shut them up in prison and he cast his lot against them when many of them were put to death. And he goes on to say that he punished and compelled them to blaspheme against Jesus. He went into the very synagogues and drug them out of the synagogues. And even went to the extreme of seeking them out in foreign cities to bring them back to be punished in Jerusalem. You know, Paul talks about his former life to Timothy over in First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, Paul said... He was very thankful that Jesus counted him faithful and that he put him into the ministry, although he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, which insolent would be arrogantly... Uh, what's the word? can't think of the word. Anyway, we, uh, Paul was a very violent man, that's the word I was looking for. He was arrogantly violent. And he went about doing everything he could to persecute Christians. That was his main goal, is to, to persecute Christians. You know, he was a very bad man when it came to persecuting Christians. He was a very feared man by people, and especially by Christians. You know, was, even his name, Saul of Tarsus, sounds very scary to people you know uh, Paul would go when he'd go to, uh, to try to arrest someone I'm sure that he was announced that Solitarsus was coming I mean he may just be right outside the door and, or might be outside the town and when he was announced that he was coming well Christians became very afraid there was a lot of times that Paul probably caught them off guard and was able to drag him out and put him in prison, but you know, uh, he was a very feared man, and he says in verse thirteen that I was formerly a blasphemer, I was formerly a persecutor, I was formerly and a very arrogant, violent man, and the key word here in this is formerly, meaning he was no longer that man, and you know. I got thinking about that. I wonder how many of us have ever thought that we were the chief of sinners at one time because of the life we lived at one time. You know, the Bible says that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. So we've all sinned. And I'm just thankful that to God for His Grace and His mercy, because we can get forgiveness for those sins. Reading on in verse 12 of our chapter, the Bible says, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me. And saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul begins to witness here about one such trip that he made to a foreign city, that of Damascus. And he begins to tell of his encounter with Jesus on the road how they saw this bright light shining from heaven. And when it, when he fell to the ground and all of those with him fell to the ground, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know, when we read that, we remember that that's pretty much the same uh, account that we read in other places. In Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, Paul said some of the very same things there. But we noticed in this account here that there's much more that he reveals that Jesus said to him. Uh, We remember in previous accounts, he only mentions that Jesus tells him to go into the city of Damascus and there it would be told to him what he must do. But here Paul reveals a lot more that jesus said in this account he reveals why jesus appeared to him he says to make him a witness of things he has seen and of things he will later reveal to him he reveals in verse 17 that jesus said that he was sending him to be a witness to the jews and the gentiles and that he will deliver him from them and that's what we've seen going on in Paul's travels and the missions he's had since his conversion. Jesus has been delivering him from one peril. didn't say he was going to put a hedge of protection around him. But he, he told Ananias in Acts chapter 9 and verse 16, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul did suffer many things for Jesus' sake. We read in 2 Corinthians 11, I'm not gonna turn and read that, I'm just gonna paraphrase there, that Paul was beaten five times with 40 stripes, save one. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned and left for dead. And he was shipwrecked three times. And he goes on to list all the different perils that he had been in. There was quite a few. And so Paul did suffer many things for Christ. And so we can see that Paul did not have an easy cross to bear for Jesus. And yet, he bore it just the same. He also reveals there in verse 18. Why? Jesus sent him to the Jews and the Gentiles. He says to open their eyes. In order to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so beginning in verse 19 Paul speaks to King Agrippa. He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So we see Paul spoke directly to King Agrippa as if to say, what would you do? He said, as for me, I will obey that heavenly vision. I will not be disobedient to it. He says, I went to Damascus, and I did exactly what it told me to do. I went to Damascus and declared to the Jews there, and then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, and told them how they should repent and turn to God and to do works meet for repentance. And he continues and says, it's only for these reasons that the Jews took me in the temple and tried to kill me. And it's only because of the deliverance of God that he is still alive, he says, to witness to the common people and to those that are in power. And he says, I said the same thing everywhere I went. His message was the same. And clearly, his message was the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it would bring them out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, We read about the gospel according to the scriptures. Paul says, Moreover brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also received and which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So there we are, the gospel according to the scriptures. And that's what Paul was teaching. was what he was saying everywhere he went. And there in chapter 15, Paul then talks about all those that saw Jesus after his resurrection. He said, first he was seen of Cephas, which is Peter, and then he was seen by the twelve, and then by over 500 brethren at once, then by James and all the apostles. And then he says. At last of all. He was seen by me. As by one born out of due time. And he goes on to say in verse 11. therefore whether it was I or they. Speaking of the apostles. Or the, and those that uh, witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. So we preach and so you believe. And he's talking to some uh, Christians there at Corinth that they had preached to about Jesus being raised from the dead, but yet there were some there that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But he says, you believed when we preached to you about Jesus. And so he goes on to talk about that. He talks about uh, Christ being risen versus Christ not being risen. And he says, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then you are still in your sins. And he says, if it be so, then our preaching is worthless, and your faith is worthless. And so now, beginning in verse 20, we read that he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. And afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. So Christ when it says that he was first fruits. Christ was the first. He was the first that would be resurrected from the dead. And that resurrection would look backward toward those that had already fallen asleep before Christ. And then it would look forward to all those that would fall asleep after Christ's resurrection. And then all at the end of time, at Christ's coming, then all that were Christ would be resurrected. Christ would return to judge the world and He would collect all saints and He'd deliver them up to the Father as the kingdom. So, as Paul finishes his discourse for his defense, Festus says, Paul, well, he says it in a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. So, that's exactly what you would expect an unbeliever To conclude from all this talk about Christ and the resurrection and about the heavenly vision and all the things that Jesus told Paul to do. And so Paul answers back with respect, saying, Most noble, uh oh, where am I at? Oh, sorry. Okay. Verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. So, Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, but I speak the words of truth and reason. And that's what he'd been doing all along throughout his defense was speaking the words of truth and reason. And King Agrippa knows it. He says in verse 26, he points to King Agrippa. And he says, he knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. He says, because these things weren't done in a corner. They were done out in the open for everyone to see. So then Paul turns his attention to Agrippa and says whoop I've got the wrong button again King Agrippa do you believe the prophets I know that you do believe then Agrippa said to Paul you almost persuade me to become a Christian and Paul said I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains so yeah Paul yeah Agrippa (coughs) believes but It's not enough for him to give up his throne and become a Christian. He says, almost you've persuaded me to become a Christian. And as we see, Paul said, I would that each and every one of you that hears me might become what I am. And what is Paul? Paul is a born again saved follower of Jesus Christ. Who has the hope of salvation through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Paul was standing here before us tonight, he might say the same thing to each and every one of us, that he would that we would be just as he is. So to finish out the chapter, see if I can get the right button this time. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man has done nothing deserving of death or change, had he not appealed to Caesar so the question is is Paul would he been better off if he had not appealed to Caesar what were Paul's chances before he appealed to Caesar you know first of all he might not have got a fair judgment he might have been put to death just to appease the Jews just like Jesus was put to death to appease the Jews Number two, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, Festus could have sent him back to Jerusalem to be at the mercies of the Jews because Festus wanted to do a favor for the Jews and even asked Paul, are you willing to go back to Jerusalem and face the charges there? And you know, when he said that, when he asked him that question, that's when Paul appealed to Caesar. And that would have meant certain death if he would have went back to Jerusalem. In verse 32... Agrippa says, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he might have been set free. Well, would that have been a good thing for Paul? Not likely. Chances are, if he had been set free, he may not have gotten 50 feet out the door before those Jews that had vowed to to kill him might have succeeded in doing so. And the good thing that came out of it, his appeal is he had now obtained free passage to Rome with protection so that he could bear witness in Rome for Jesus. You know, Jesus had told him over in chapter 23 and verse 11, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So whether it was of divine intervention or not, Paul knew what he must do. And with Jesus' assurance that he would deliver him, then Paul became more emboldened to speak the truth. And that's what he did. He spoke the words of truth and reason. Now in two weeks from tonight, Lord willing, in chapter 27, we'll see how Paul makes his way to Rome and the perils that he must face in that journey. So that is the lesson of the night. Sorry for the mistakes I've made. (laughs) But uh, if there's anyone that has anything they want to add to this, any comments you want to make or any corrections you want to make, (laughs) I'll be glad to turn the floor over to you. If not, then we never like to close without offering an invitation. If there's one here tonight that's subject to the gospel call, then we'd invite you to come forward. If you have a desire to be uh, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we uh, pray that uh, you will do that soon, if not tonight. If you, for any reason, need the prayers of the congregation tonight, we pray that you'll do that as well. And so we uh, just... Come up to the front and have a seat on the front and and, uh, let your wishes be known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.